Whenever communists incite anarchy and plot to take over in a given place, you can count on them to neutralize the opposition. Our guest today will discuss how both the communists and the globalists neutralize the anti-communist opposition in Cuba in order to solidify the Caribbean island as a communist nation. I'm Christian Gomez, and this is Anarchy in America. My guest today is author and writer Frank De Varona, a member of the anti-communist Cuban Assault Brigade 2506, who took part in the daring Operation Zapata, better known as the Bay of Pigs invasion, to liberate his native homeland of Cuba in 1961. Frank, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Christian, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, according to articles that you've written about and in your books uh, about the Bay of Pigs invasion, you've described it as the perfect failure. In fact, one could say that you were virtually neutralized by the very U.S. government that promised to have your back. How was this a perfect failure, and who or what were the forces at play that neutralized your efforts to topple Fidel Castro and liberate your homeland from communism? Well, they were the uh, globalists that were working in the uh, Kennedy administration, beginning with the worst globalist of all, uh, the Secretary uh, of State, uh, uh, who was at one point, uh, he was uh, the head of the Rockefeller Foundation for 10 years. I'm talking about Dean Rusk. Uh, so he was the worst one. But the Bondi brothers who worked in the Kennedy administration, one of them was the National Security Advisor of Kennedy. Uh, Others there, like uh, Schlesinger Jr., uh, they were all members of the Council of Foreign Relations. They were all globalists, and they wanted us to fail. I'm sure uh, they were directed by, at the time, David Rockefeller, who wanted us to fail to consolidate uh, and strengthen the tyranny in Cuba forever. They sent us there to die. They sent us there to be defeated and to wipe out all the opposition uh, that Fidel Castro had in 1961. Now, obviously, the Soviet Union backed Castro's rise and the establishment of a communist party government in Havana. But what role did the U.S. State Department, the White House, the New York Times, and even the Globalist Council on Foreign Relations that you mentioned, what role did they play in concealing the fact that Castro was a communist and thus helping him rise to power? Well, we have to go back to the Eisenhower administration, who was responsible for allowing Castro to come to power. It was very unfortunate that at the time, uh, John Foster Dulles, uh, he was a, a globalist. He was one of the founders of the Council of Foreign Relations, together with his brother, Alan Dulles, who was the director of the CIA. Both of them were globalists. Both of them actively worked for the Council of Foreign Relations. And Eisenhower, of course, should never have appointed those two globalists. But anyway, they were, they were globalists. And unfortunately, in the Department of State, the two people that had to do with Cuba uh, were also communists. Uh, one of them was a man that had lived in Cuba for a while, uh, and his name was William Wyland in English, but in Cuba he was known as uh, uh, Montenegro, his last name, who became a lover, a lover of uh, the, the deputy uh, secretary of state, Summer Wells, a dear friend of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, he went to Cuba in 1933, 
uh, as a special envoy from Franklin and Roosevelt to see if they could get rid of the dictator that we had at the time in 1933, Machado. There he met William Wyland. They became lovers. Uh, both of them were married, but both of them were homosexuals. And then later, when William Wyland came to live in the United States, he entered the State Department without even writing an application. No application at all. He just put him there to work. In, in the 50s, he already was the head of what was then called the Cuban desk, which uh, he was in charge of Cuba, the Caribbean, uh, and uh, Mexico. Uh, all of that was, on, and he reported to Roy Roboton, also a communist, and Roy Roboton was at the time the assistant secretary for Western Hemisphere Affairs or Inter-American Affairs, as we call it today. And every time uh, ambassadors from Cuba, there were actually four ambassadors uh, or three ambassadors who had served in Cuba and one in Mexico that sent cable after cable to the State Department, letting them know clearly do not allow Fidel Castro to come to power to Cuba because the 26th of July movement is infiltrated by communists like Raul Castro, like Che Guevara, Camilo Cienfuegos. So it wasn't that they were not warned. They were actually warned, but those cables ended up on the fourth floor and it died there. Le years later, uh, when Castro was in power uh, in 1960, uh, uh, the last ambassador on the Batista, Earl T. Smith, and the previous ambassador, Arthur Gardner, who was ambassador in Cuba from 1952 to 58, uh, uh, 57, and then 57 to 59, Earl T. Smith, they stated to the Senate Intelligence Committee, this is after Castro's in power, he said, who was responsible for communism coming to Cuba? And they said the U.S. press. They didn't have the term mainstream press that we have now, but they talk about the press, particularly the New York Times, I'll talk in a second about the New York Times, and the State Department and our government. And then he said something even worse. He said, Ertis Smith, he said, when I was in Havana, the CIA chief in, in my embassy in Havana was working directly to put in power Fidel Castro. So wow. he accused CIA being involved in putting Castro in power. And that so basically, all the powers, all the familiar characters, rather, that we see today in the deep state, you know, the fake news media, a globalist and communist were burying the facts, coming in from the ambassadors warning, hey, Castro is a communist. We can't let the communists come to power. They knew about it. They buried it. They allowed it to happen. But can you tell me a little bit about your role? Now, you were part of a group called the Bregadistas, and you fought, you landed there in the Bay of Pigs, which I understand from your writings that the evasion site was changed at the last minute from being um, uh, another location to the Bay of Pigs. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how – uh, when, when you were captured by Castro and his forces, how the communists treated their prisoners of war. Right, I'd be happy to talk about that, but you mentioned uh, uh, the very important reason why we failed was that the brilliant plan that had been done uh, by the CIA and the Joint Chief of Staff, uh, we were going to land in Trinidad, that had docks, that had an airport for our B-26 bombers that we had, the Brigade Air Force Base, there were plenty of uh, anti-communist rebels fighting there, and Trinidad had a population of that was basically against the communist government of Cuba, uh, 27,000 people that could have joined us. But they changed the plan so that we would be defeated. Now, you're talking about when they changed to, uh, Kennedy gave the CIA three days, he said, I don't want you to land in Trinidad, pick another site, that site 
It's impossible to win there. It was the Bay of Pigs. Bay of Pigs has no docks. There was no way for us with our obsolete cargo ships, Liberty tied from World War II. There was no way we could unload what we had on those ships if there are no docks. It's impossible to, to get them out of the ship. Absolutely. So they sent us there to, to be defeated, basically. Yes, yeah, so President were, Kennedy gave the excuse that there would be too many civilian casualties if you had landed near the ciudad of uh, the city of Trinidad. But in, where, of course, there were the anti-communist supporters that would have aided your efforts. But instead, by going to the Bay of Pigs area, you have no docks for the Liberty ships, and you were basically sitting ducks. And eventually, you ran out of ammunition. Now, when exactly, addition to that, there were going to be five airstrikes by our, our 16 B-26 Air Force prior to our landing. On uh, on the first uh, surprise air attack was took place on. April 15, 1961, but Kennedy reduced the 16 B 26s to only eight planes. So that strike left seven enemy planes, among them T 33 jets, uh, C Furies, and B 26s. And then they were supposed to be using the entire Air Force five times morning, afternoon, April 15, morning, afternoon, April 16, and D Day, April 17, the fifth attack. All of those strikes were canceled. Being so pushed. essentially, you were set up to fail. So you weren't only neutralized by the communists, you know, Cuban soldiers that were fighting, but you were neutralized by your own government, basically to lead to, to the U.N. U.S. government to delegit to delegitimize the efforts of Cuban anti-communists. But how bad was it under communism? You were captured. The brigadistas that you fought with were all captured. What were conditions like? Well, they were absolutely horrible. They were like Nazi concentration camps. We were drinking water that had dead rats in the water. That provoked an epidemic of hepatitis and dysentery, which I contracted both. Uh, of course, they, we never had any medicine. Uh, and that's when we were in Havana in a very old building that used to be a, a Spanish fortress in the 17th century called Castillo del Principe. We were all there together. Uh, in that place, and after a year of being in prison under horrible conditions, uh, being tortured, being beaten, uh, the food was, you could hardly eat it. Uh, I lost 60 pounds in, in prison altogether. I, I went in 180 pounds, came out of 120 pounds, and now I'm really fat now, thanks to the imperialist food of the US. But anyway, <laughs> a different story. But anyway, we were there, uh, and then a year after we were in prison, uh, they took us to a trial which was illegal. We were prisoners of war. Under the Geneva Convention, you cannot be trialed. That's we were correct. never prisoners of war. We're called mercenaries. And then they sentenced us to 30 years of hard labor. And then they selected 214 of us, including my brother Jorge uh, and some of my cousins and friends and officers of the brigade. They, first of all, they put a ransom on us like we were the days of the pirates. Uh, the three leaders of the brigade, they were worth half a million dollars each. This is 1962 money, okay? So you have to multiply by 10 due to inflation. And then my group, uh, I, I wasn't an officer, but my father was a cattleman, and they confiscated all of our lands, houses, uh, bank accounts. We were very, very poor, but our crime was that we had been rich. So my brother and I were worth, each of us, $100,000. So 214 of us, they took us from that prison in Havana, put us in the very worst prison of Cuba, in the Isle of Pines, uh, which is called Presidio Modelo. And there they put us in a room that had a capacity for 40, 214 of us, 
we were sleeping in the floor, the bare floor. They packed like, you like sardines in there. Yeah. So, so when you hear politicians like Kamala Harris recently talking about how we need an equity of outcomes, and you see groups like Antifa in the streets, what do you think about? And should we be worried about what happened in Cuba, that that could happen here in America as well? What happened in Cuba is exactly what's happening in the United States today. Uh, Kamala Harris is a communist. Her husband is a communist. He works directly with the Communist Party of China doing business, and the entire uh, once center-left Democratic Party is now completely controlled by communists. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they are communists. The squad, AOL and Plus 3, like Trump calls it, uh, uh, not only are they communists, they are pro-Islamic radical, they are pro-infanticide, they pro-China, anti-Israel, and destructive to our national security. If we have the unfortunate, uh, uh, God forbid, that Biden is the next president, we will become a communist nation and a satellite of China. So like what should we do about it? What we need to do is support Donald Trump in all of the lawsuits that he's filing now. He's filed lawsuits uh, in Georgia where they cheated there. They cheated massively in, in Wisconsin. And, and in in, uh, in Michigan, we actually won those two states. They are cheating in Pennsylvania. They, they're already there in, in Philadelphia. They do massive cheating there. So we need to support our president in all of those lawsuits. And if we fail, we cannot allow our guns to be taken. Uh, if, if the communists take over here, then we need to go to the street and defend ourselves with whatever guns we have. We cannot allow our, our, our beautiful country to become a communist nation. Okay, well, thank you so much. We're glad to have you. We're out of time. Take care, Frank, and God bless you, and keep on fighting the good fight for freedom. Well, thank you for the interview. I love the John B. Society. It's the best society, the best magazine that we have in America. To learn more about how both Cuban communists and U.S. globalists neutralized the Bay of Pigs invasion, we recommend that you read Frank DeVarona and Alex Newman's article entitled U.S. globalists put Castro in power and kept him there from the June 18, 2018 issue of the New American Magazine. Copies of this issue are available for purchase on shoptna.org. And copies of Frank DeVarona's book, Cuba, the Bay of Pigs, the Kennedy Assassination, the Vatican, and the New World Order are available on Amazon.com. Links will be in the description. Join us next week as we discuss how Wall Street has financed communism. Until then, God bless.